Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. This is Liam. Before we jump into this week's episode on Jack Goes Boating, directed and starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, for our new listeners, I wanted to recommend a couple older episodes from this season. Uh, We've covered a lot of films um, on this show, but I wanted to actually talk a little bit about two non-film-related episodes, or two films that don't direct a film um, explicitly. Uh, We did a a bonus episode um, uh, with Annie Rose Malamet on Philip Seymour Hoffman's Queer Roles. That's a really interesting and popular episode, and Annie's amazing, and you should listen to her show Girls Guts Jallo. Uh, We also did an episode called Match That Hoffman, a new game show from Uberbusters, where I quizzed George on some lesser-known Philip Seymour Hoffman roles. Um, Check those out. They're a lot of fun. They're a little bit back in the catalog, and we hope you enjoy them. Also, we please ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your the platform of your listening choice. That would be super helpful for us. Um, Finally, uh, just a quick note that we our upcoming episodes include uh, an episode where we talk a little bit more about Mission Impossible, naturally, and where we talk a little bit about an article called The Epic Uncool of Philip Seymour Hoffman, written by Nathan Rabin for the now defunct and incredible Dissolve website. Uh, please give a look for that. Just Google Epic Uncool of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then we'll be back after that with an episode on... Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, and we'll wrap up this season with an episode on A Most Wanted Man, on one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's final screen roles, sadly. Uh, We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Thanks, Adam, for doing it. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. And I'm confused. (laughs) No, you're Adam Shartoff. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's correct. I am. And this is... Adam, do you want to say it? The name this of the show? This is Podcast Busters. Oh, God <laughs> damn it, Adam. Close enough. I think we could use that, though. Fine, right? we'll go with it. It's Uber Busters. Uh... Okay, let's, should we do it again? Let's do it one more yeah. time. I kind of think we'll one go more. with it, but what uh, the hell? I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. And I'm Film Wax Radio's Adam Shark. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> and this is... Film Wax Radio, Uvra but Busters. seriously, it's Uvra Buster. Yeah, Uvra we Busters. did it. Um, full disclosure. Yay. Applause all around.
Everyone's uh, the full entire dis- studio audience is uh, clapping. How's it going, Adam? It's going well, thank you. Good. Um, What's the name of that podcast again? You do? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like um, to let's let's just let's let's de-escalate. It's called the Mar- It's called the Mark Marin Show. <laughs> WTF? Oh, it's Mark's favorite. WTF. My favorite podcast. It's As called. A, I don't know. It's the it's I'm a Mark Marin fan. Joe Rogan. The, Joe, the, the Adam Shartoff experience. I would listen to a <laughs> podcast it. called The Shartoff Experience. Are you Ooh. kidding me? Or a film I, series? Like an action film series? Yeah. That would be amazing. Let me just check some well, levels because George tends to peak. I do. Oh. Too young. Always early. <laughs> Far too soon. Um, well, you you kid, but in truth, I kind of sometimes do regret that I branded my show. Again, it's called Film Wax Radio. It's available on most podcast apps. I don't um, let it on Stitcher. I got Film it Wax on um, iTunes. I'm um, Apple Podcasts. All the above. Well, Apple Podcasts now. You have to yep. get out of the habit of saying iTunes. It's all soon. gone. All of it's gone. But but uh, I, 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 I almost regret it because I actually almost pref- I bring on musicians and all. Yeah. Like I want. I just was at the Woodstock Film Festival, and I met. Are you kidding? Are you kidding, ready for this? I met the man who founded it, the Woodstock. Wow. The Woodstock Woodstock Music Festival, Michael Lang. Yes. Wow, how was that? It was amazing because we have a mutual connection, and she was sitting. Her name's Barbara Koppel. She was sitting at oh, the, just at a, a table. slight name, Barbara Koppel. Yeah. Drop. Jeez. Well, she had just done the podcast for the third time. This okay. is egregious. This is a, this guy is trolling. <laughs> Listen, us. Edit this out. Edit I do this out. an interview <laughs> format podcast. You do an oeuvre thing okay a busting so what movie um speaking of woodstock it's just the, the yeah there's a lot of Woodstock. there's a lot this. of woodstock no not at how all. do we make this transition seamless <laughs> how's it going so, so we're far? discussing jacko's boating from the magical year of 2010 directed by philip seymour hoffman starring philip seymour hoffman john ortiz and daphne rubin Re- vega and amy ryan wax radio former guest daphne rubin <laughs> vega oh she's been on the show yeah that's what, incredible. What did you have her on to discuss? Uh, it was a film that she was in that a friend, Jay Spartak, uh, made. And he, he, he and Daphne did the show together some years ago. Okay. Oh. Wow. That's cool. Now, before... Because yeah. Adam also wanted to uh, talk about this film. But before I also kick it back to Adam, let me just quickly say what this film is about. Please do if it. it. could be described, even though there's no really plot. So it's not true. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Jack, a lonely limo driver. Reggae-loving limo driver. Who Reggae-loving limo driver, yeah. Who decides With to... With little dreads. Yeah, the, the hair's really weird. Who it decides to... Focus. Yeah. <laughs> who decides... Um, to take My friend boating, Barbara Koppel said to focus. Decides he wants to go boating, hence the title. And as such, takes swimming, takes swimming lessons with his friend Clyde. It's played by John Ortiz because obviously if you go boating, you have to learn how to swim and he doesn't know how to swim. And the film is pretty much about his um, growing relationship with this woman named Connie. Yes. Played by Amy Kaplan. And also about the deterioration of his friend Clyde's marriage with his wife lucy so it's really obviously just kind of a piece about these two relationships one that's kind of coming into existence and the other one that is disappearing it's disappearing the I, I have a i have a question before we begin yes the We've conversation begun. about this about this film okay it's based on a play correct by robert glaudini who also I'm wrote the movie and i'm wondering why didn't he call it jacko swimming 
It's a really well, good because, question. Because the boating thing is what he's building up to. By the way, I'm, what is I, I'm but glad, I'm, why do you have to learn how to swim? I'm glad you asked about the titles, though, because do you know what the porno title of this Jack is? Jacko's Fucking? No, Jacko's Motorboating. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting I'm all quitting day. The podcast. I've been I'm waiting, quitting the podcast. I've been waiting all day to make And you're a professor <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of English. Of, of English. Of literature. You teach young minds. You, you can't see right now, but I'm wearing a tweed jacket with leather uh, patches. For he can't literally see you. No, no, I'm saying for our audience oh, of okay. one person. I just wanted to be clear. Because <laughs> Adam will listen to this. What's even sadder than that joke was that I was waiting all day to make it. No, but listen, here's the thing. When Please. you go boating, first of all, in Central Park on uh, the pond, <laughs> do you need to really know how to swim? <laughs> and by the way, also, they have something called life preservers. Why do you have to learn how to swim? So I'm already, basically what I'm saying is I'm getting off the phone right now. <laughs> Done. Because the premise is weak. Problematic. Well, so I, yeah. did you, so when we when we reached out to you about being on the show um, and really boosting your profile. Um, That's did true. You, did you were you picked this one? I feel like you said this one, and we what? Why? I believe I, I believe I, this is my third or fourth option. <laughs> but go. maybe, 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 oh yeah, maybe we were the ones who were like actually. Maybe could you no, I think I think you had already. Honestly, um, I think you had. Uh, I think that there was probably one or two others I said ahead of this, but not. No, I, I'm actually quite happy to talk about Jacko's boating because it's the only film I believe the filmer Seymour. Hoffman directed. So yeah, I feel like that's there an is a special. Place to start. It's a special, you know. In that regard, it is special. I agree. Um, but it wouldn't have been my first choice of like you know the great performances. This was my first choice when we picked movies. Huh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I picked this first. You yeah, picked I the master, episode. and I picked this because well, he I directed had to pick the it. Master, yeah, because I wanted to. Uh, because I wanted to look at a movie that he played a pivotal role in. I guess we should say that yes, this is based on a play that but was created. My first, the, but, but I just want to say my first choice. So the listeners was Jack was my li- the listeners can. It was actually my first choice. I remember was the killing of a Chinese bookie. That's true. It was. It's and then we found out that <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't in it. So we couldn't then, do it. It was really disappointing to find out a movie that we already covered he hadn't been in. Um, so it was yeah, based sorry. on a play. Did you did you see the play? The play was produced by Labyrinth Theater Company, which was his company. Did you see the play? Do you have any knowledge mm. of the play? No, and I, I wish I had seen it. I mean, my goodness. I think yeah. this I, film did I, a good... I never got to see Philip Seymour Hoffman live in something. I think this film did a good job of making it not feel like a play. Right. And this is something I was talking to Liam about earlier. That you're you're not buying that? No, a little bit, a little bit. It feels a little stagey. It does times. a little bit, at especially the big party scene at the end. Very stagey. So, um, I I saw the Labyrinth Theater Company once do a play called The Little Flower of East Orange, that Phil was not in, but he directed. And I went to a dress rehearsal and he was in the theater and I was like, <gasps> it was like my second week in New York City and a friend worked at the oh, public. Wow. And he was Where like, do you, you hmm? where, 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 where did you have, where did you come from? Right I'd before? come from, I'd come from Boston by way of the Czech okay. Republic where I'd been living. And I moved to New York in with a buddy that worked at the public theater and he was like, let's go to this dress rehearsal. And I rem- it was like my f- second celebrity sighting in New York City was Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was eight feet wow. away from me. And I was that like, is- oh. and Ellen Burstyn was there. Wow. And John Ortiz was there. So were you bursting mm-hmm. at the seams? I was bursting at the seams. <laughs> Such an asshole. Um, and uh, That was pretty good, actually. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Trying. Great, guys. And... Um, 
uh, and I watched the play and it was really good. But the coolest thing about it was that they were, because it was a dress rehearsal, they were all just kind of milling around, which was really cool. And then a couple years later, I saw Phil Hoffman play Iago to John Ortiz's uh, Othello uh, with Desdemona whoa. played by Jessica Chastain. Whoa. Oh, my God. Directed by Peter Sellers. The, the, the British the dead. director. He's yeah, British. The he's the uh, no, he's an American opera director. Oh, not Inspector Clouseau. Oh, he's American. Okay. Yeah, um, and it was not good. It was <laughs> four and a half hours long. Whoa! And Phil was amazing, but also like it was unhinged. It was crazy. But it so in- indulgent. It was right. it was indulgent. It was supposed to be about Obama. It's supposed to be about Obama. I think was the was the uh-huh. the sort of an Obama take on Othello. But um, I feel like Labyrinth was a huge thing really big theater company and um i don't know the play very well but i'd be curious to hear what you guys thought of the movie uh adam what did you think of the movie had you seen it before yeah i saw uh, i actually saw it when it came out but i I was invited to a press screening and i i was went to it very very you know excitedly because it was you know philip seymour hoffman's first it was his directorial debut yeah so um, it came out um, in uh, 2010, and I think Wikipedia says it's an American romantic comedy. <laughs> okay, good job, Wikipedia. <laughs> wow. So I guess I, that seems... No, that can't possibly be... I can't. Is it? Well, you mean the description of it as a romantic comedy? Or? No, 2010. Oh, why not? 2000. It says January 2010. Uh, it premiered and then it was like full release on in September, I think, or something. Yeah, That's that incred- sounds right. That's amazing. I, did, I so it came out nine years ago, but what, you it know, feels so older than that. No, it doesn't. It feels like it came out yesterday. Really? To me. Yeah. Oh, I'm not I, the it, movie itself, but it just feel like it just happened. I was like this feel like I was actually like it just felt like it was early because aughts. of the movie. It just felt yeah. Like, mm. Did you like it, Adam? Um, mixed feelings, mm-hmm. mixed feelings. Um, I feel like it works, uh, time, you know, it's just, it feels like it doesn't work some of the time. Yeah. It feels like, you know, Amy Ryan, her, her dialogue feels, um, wooden. Right. But, you know, it feels experimental almost on some level. I agree. And commercial on another level. So it's it seems like it's just butts up against I each agree. other. Yeah, I definitely what feel that. What experimental aspects did you... Well, you the dialogue to? is very... Almost tries to be... I, I don't want to say this was their intention. I don't believe it was. But the playwright, again, was, it sounded Mamet-like, mm-hmm. the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that it's very spare dialogue in yes. some ways. And then there is very real- realistic performances by, let's say, Daphne Rune Vega's performance. She seems to be working in another movie altogether. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of true. I thought John Ortiz was actually the best part. Yeah, this was He's a big role good. for him. He got nominated for an independent spirit for this, Best Breakthrough Actor, which I feel like he'd already been in a bunch of Michael Mann movies. Like I'd seen know, him in, he was in Miami Vice for sure and Collateral. So he'd been around. He's like the scary drug dealer in Miami Vice. So it was uh, nice to see him play something that wasn't so kind of obvious. George, what do you ca- think? And yeah, I was not a fan of this. Typecasting. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because back to back. So obviously last week or we discussed doubt. Right. Which is available of, now. Yeah. <laughs> Guest co-host Caitlin May Burke, and think of, to think about also that also as a play transformed into a film, right? That even though that felt to me at least more stagey than this did at certain parts, 
that that was more successful and i think it had it was more successful for me and i think it was just mainly because of the performances i think the performances in that yes are so much right. better yeah. and so much more powerful especially philip seymour hoffman's performance too than this mm-hmm. film like this like i was i know i also felt like like this has been like the third or fourth time i've seen him like play this kind of role not to this kind of intensity really? like in or what not, not this kind of like sedated kind of way well i kept thinking about like love lisa there were shades oh, of like the happiness right. character, and also even in uh, Magnolia. In Magnolia, no, not Magnolia. Magnolia. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Boogie Nights. A little bit of the Boogie Nights, but obviously he's only in Boogie Nights for like five but minutes. But he's not a sad sack in this movie. That's one of the things he's that not. He is a. He's not. I don't think. I mean, I think he's. A, I think he's sad, but I think that like his disposition is like, sort of a little more like he's sad but i don't think like one of the things i appreciate about it is that i didn't feel like the whole time i was like oh this guy hates his life like i think he's one of the few sort of people in the movie who well he does things to try to make a, he makes like, an effort yeah, yeah but and like the thing about like go positive vibes positive vibes but i was like this this guy is okay depressing. well love lisa he lost <laughs> his wife I mean, yeah that movie is an exception but yeah. i i don't know i didn't i found him very charming in this yeah, kind of but he's still a sad sack. Well, maybe not charismatic. I, Sexy, I as Connie calls him. Yeah. Um, I would say that I feel like I'm sort of with Adam. I don't I don't hate this movie at all. I certainly don't love it. I actually think it's a pretty interesting directorial film. Like I, I will give it that. It and takes it's curiosity. Risks. I'd like to hear you guys talk a little bit more about that. But. The Well, I think... So uh-huh. first of all, I, I think the staginess... I think it's a far more successful adaptation than Doubt, but I don't think it's a better movie. Okay. Um, and I think part of the reason that that's true is that I think he was able to kind of spice up. There's a lot more sort of like injected cinematic imagery, like him swimming, him swimming from different angles. There's some really nice kind of like cuts in terms of how the movie moves from him swimming towards the end to him in the boat. And like it, it doesn't, it, it feels like competently directed and there's sort of some very risk taking moments in terms of like letting the images play out for themselves and something that could be really talky in another director's hands. I love the soundtrack too, which I, I think also for me, like hate the soundtrack really? oh, and it's all music that I love. Yeah. I <laughs> love the soundtrack, but I think it's just, times it, it's heavy it handed, places it in this moment where it's like, yep, this is 2008 in New York city. Like yeah. the music was by the original compositions. He's leaving. He's leaving. <laughs> The original compositions, music by Grizzly Bear. It's like, I mean, it, it speaks it's to a Brooklyn-y distinct music. moment in my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, Adam just, he's gone. <laughs> he's throwing stuff. He's just pissed. He's like, fuck these Uber busters. This is the shortest no, amount of no, time. No, Fall in love. He's back. There he is. I love this. Sorry about that. No so worries. The, the music you felt. So the music it. just felt very heavy handed and also like the Devochka song, the flesh oh, of yeah. my flesh. I love that song. <laughs> what would a podcast episode be without Liam bringing in the soul song? I know. <laughs> my soul. It's I can sing. It was good. I, I just don't I, I felt like the music was a little bit like, Hey kids, hey hipster kids, watch my movie. That's fair. But it's all music I love, so I don't really know if that's a fair criticism. Um, what, what, what are you trying to say? <laughs> what am I trying to say in general? About the music. I just feel like it's very, uh, it's it's overwrought and heavy handed. And I think. Oh, do you feel like it's like show offy? Yeah. And I'm more like, I got these cool people to make music for my movie mm. or to like, I got the entirety of the first Fleet Foxes album. It's for interesting my movie. you say that because, you know, you figure, um, you know, it, it, you know, somebody who is at the stature that, that, that yeah. Phillips psh was at you know it's like he could call in favors you know yep yeah i mean you know it's also interesting um 
I don't know if this is in keeping with what you're we're, we're talking about, but I looked into the play version. Yeah, and it's this. It's almost the exact same cast. The only exception yeah, is yeah. the Amy Ryan. The Amy Ryan part is is was she was cast in it, which was wise. I think she's terrific. Yeah, she is really good in it. It's such a distinctly Amy Ryan performance. And it's, right, and it's believable that they have a believable chemistry, I thought. Yes, I agree. Um, I wonder... I, I think that one thing that I find... Um, there's something a little... I don't know exactly if I can pinpoint it, but there's something a little awkward about the whole movie to me, and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a choice. It feels like that they there's something idiosyncratic about it that doesn't entirely work like i enjoy the daphne rubin vega john ortiz relationship i think that's really good but i think maybe it's to your point you're right i feel like they're giving different types of performances hmm. i felt by the way and that, i oh well i, I sorry i just okay. don't interrupt me. Just, i always think about that i always think about i always think about that when you're watching something that's been done on stage by the same actors translated into film Mm. And you have actors of varying, ex- not experience, but varying like uh, background in film or like, like Phil, Phil Hoffman, uh, you know, Philip Zimmer Hoffman as an actor had so much screen experience and was like a much more, not natural, but had been so many more movies that you feel differently watching him as an actor than you might John Ortiz, who's not done as many major roles in films. Like it just feels like there's varying degrees of success in the performances and, and tone of the performances. Well, but that that's so. When isn't that the case? You know, I mean, that's true. Um, but I will say that Philip Seymour Hoffman happens to also be a genius. Yes, which is probably why you chose him uh, for an entire season. But. Right. Um, and I don't know about these other actors. I not. I don't want to criticize them. I think um, they're all. Ta- I think John Ortiz is very talented. I think Amy Ryan is brilliant. Um, I'm. I'm less sold on Daphne Rubin Vega. I didn't see Rent. Uh, no, I, I didn't see it either. But obviously, she was uh, one of the big, you know, uh, breakout right. stars of that. Um, so, and she's been around forever doing a bunch of different stuff so it's like oh yeah yeah you know. no i mean she's clear clearly her career has blossomed from from rent um and um but i don't know i i yeah i, I think we've i think i think it's i think we've 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 kind of you know touched on touched the the issue is that there's sort of two tones that are combating each other here and it's like there's this you know experimental play that they tried to honor i guess and then there's like kind of the movie mm-hmm. um and you know some of these people have more experience in making movies than some maybe don't right it's a curious d- directorial f- debut too because i mean it, it kind of flew under the radar i feel like there's a lot of these like let's say i mean this is what 4 years it came out 4 years before he passed away but there's these sort of late era, quiet Philip Seymour Hoffman movies that came out. Another one I mm. thought about was a late quartet. Do you guys remember a late quartet? I do not. It's a movie he made with a director. I think it was his first film, and it was Phil Hoffman. And uh, I, uh, I feel like a f- can you look up the cast real yeah, quick? Yeah, the late yeah. quartet, but it's a movie about a quartet of it's a qu- about a quartet and sort of their relationships with one another. 
and I I went to a uh, like a a, a pre screening of it before it came out, and I feel like it hmm. came out and made approximately four hundred dollars. Christopher and disappeared. Walken, Christopher Walken. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Imogen Poots plays yeah. so one of their. I think uh, her daughter. And Mark. But Vanner? there's these like weird, quiet post Oscar non Hunger Games Sean? movies. Wallace Shawn, that he made that kind of really quietly disappeared and i think that this is one of those like you would think he's only a couple years after the oscar this would have gotten more attention but it kind of just vanished i feel like a little bit it's on hbo it is on hbo yeah so but it is kind of a quintessential new york city movie too it has a good does yeah working class center i think and no, yeah, it definitely does have like a working class feel, and there are like the moments uh, where it does kind of engage with those politics. Like, there's this one interesting scene where John Ortiz goes to Clyde, goes to the uh, Waldorf Astoria because yes. they're drivers; they're both limo drivers. Oh, right. And that's where his um, wife's lover is, and he wants to, like catch a glimpse of this guy. And there's clearly like this engagement with like how right. he doesn't belong in this space, and he like is looking and kind of taking in all the opulence of it all and like he puts you know he casts eyes on this dude and obviously it's more about how he feels jealous about this guy but there right. are this you can also read it with these kind of political valences of like a critique of did uh, you the opulence did of the, you did you tell the, the synopsis of the film at all or you could do it yeah, yeah we did, did. yeah i think a little yeah bit. The, but that I, 10 second I think rambling thing in that, the beginning that you, yeah I mean it's obviously about like one of the things you get while Amy Ryan um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's relationship is developing is this um, collapse of Daphne Rubin Vega um, whose character name Lucy Lucy and Claude's relationship collapsing and it kind of culminates in this really awkward really long scene where it seems like John uh, Clyde Claude decides to go on a bender yeah. and get drunk and do some cocaine and sort of give in to like this like he's sort of like had at his wits end in his relationship and then they smoke hashish and I just spent the whole where time- do they smoke hashish uh, at their apartment at the apartment but with the I hookah. thought they were just went on the uh, they did the uh, hookah yeah but she says she, something yeah. about it being hashish. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's but that makes sense so because they did get they they appear to get high. They get really which, high. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, I think his name is Jack. He <laughs> his name is he cooked Boating. this elaborate Boating. he cooked this very elaborate meal which right. he had to learn how to make. Yeah, from this guy that that is the lover of da- it's the such same a guy contrived Canoli. weird thing to do yeah. it's like here's your ex-lover he'll teach you how to cook like i didn't buy that at all it's your best friend's cuckold or yeah. whatever yeah I mean. and uh, and then just, and then he learns how to make this elaborate meal from this this chef who right. gives him lessons so while he's also getting swimming lessons he's also getting cooking lessons he's getting and cooking lessons he from makes this for the dinner party that which is the culmination as you said um you know the the, f- I mean spoiler is the is the food they're all Burns. partying and dr- and smoking the hash hash hashish and you know the the, the they forget about the uh, the the oven right now I will tell you as a point of information that I have once smoked hashish out of a hookah. And it's oh. the highest I've ever been in my nice. god. Oh my god. I'm still high from it. It was <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, tw- almost 20 years ago. Uh, it's it, So watching that sequence, I was like, yes, like one get would it. get this high. But I, didn't, but I didn't buy it. I did, well, I didn't buy him going out to get coke also from this drug dealer. 
And I was like, what the hell is he like doing? It did seem like so out of Well, he kind of buys it from a guy on the corner. There's a lot that goes that one of the things that I don't think works about the movie is a lot of it feels out of character. John Ortiz's decision to suddenly buy all these drugs mm. seems out of character. But also the extent to maybe this is because he's really high, but the extent to which Philip Seymour Hoffman loses his mind yeah, 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 yeah. when he realizes the food is burning felt very out of character. Yeah. Like the one issue that I have with the movie is even though he likes her i wish i got a deeper sense of his investment in the relationship it feels very yeah. casual to me his whole relationship to her in the movie right and she never gives amy ryan's character never gives an indication that she has to be you know like uh, romance to that degree She's, right you know that's why i'm saying it's like it's a kind of uh there's like the language is very experimental so she just wants to be right she's obviously somebody who's been um you know, uh, the victim of a certain amount of abuse, which is kind of, you know, remember that scene she comes into From the, the office? subway. Like some guy, yeah. like she's victim, but she's also sounds like she participates on some level. The film suggests or the play had suggested that she was responsible for some of her mm. victimhood because she comes in like, you know, having been abused physically right. from some encounter. Now, what was that encounter? Was she, did she go back to an apartment? Yeah, it's did weird. she go to somebody's home? Yeah, this yeah. guy that she saw. Well, the guy on the subway, go... right? Yeah, he kind of like looks at her leeringly. The impression I yeah, got. Yeah, but that where he hits does he the, get the opportunity the to train. bust her face up? Yeah, I, yeah unless, my feeling is he does it on unless the train, she takes him home. Right? Does she go home with him? We don't know. Do yeah. does she go home with him? It's going to be very confusing for listeners. But she has some sort of uh, you know um, strange encounter s- encounters, you know. And then you know all, uh, later in the film, ultimately, uh, this is like during the last part of the film. She asks um, Philip Seymour Hoffman once they're about to start really, right. you know date or their relationship is about to take off she asks him to overtake she asks him to overtake overtake her don't but not to hurt her right so it's where what is all this about i mean i think that the thing the way that i read the subway thing is that she tries to get away from the guy and he hits her on the subway but how do you know no we don't know that's true yeah and i mean she's like it's also just strange that she... I mean, it's New York. People bleed on the subway. It's not like unusual to see. But the extent to which no, she is no, no, no. victimized, it, it's like so, it's so brutal. It's so brutal, It's yeah. so brutal. Or she goes to the hospital, well, I, yeah. I'm just trying... I'm, I find it a little di- a little bit yes. confusing. What, what, it, what is the... What are we supposed to think? Is right. she... Does she ask for the... Invite this or... Is she just a victim of like you know? Also, Tom McCarthy, the actor, the play, the director, he's in the movie. He plays her a boss in the film. Yeah, Amy he's got Ryan's like boss. very little to do, but he's in there. Well, and he, you it's know, touchy. he comes on to her. Also, yeah. now, are we supposed to believe that she's inviting this attention because it keeps happening? There's something also oh. with Daphne Rubin Vega and him where he like gives her a kiss and says, "I'll call you later." And I remember thinking like, "This is very forward." It's weird. Well, yeah, but I thought the implication was that clearly there's something going on. Yeah, like but it's never. Instance. Yeah, it's never made clear. Yeah, yeah. But that's the first moment that you kind of get a uh, feeling that well, clearly there's like infidelity going get on. Get on that mic. And that's what like they have to kind of deal with. 
Um, but I, but no, no, I'm glad you mentioned that too because there, you're right. That last scene, I never, I didn't connect those two scenes, but there is this kind of interesting like, psychosexual dynamic yeah. to the character mm-hmm. that isn't explored or at least kind of explored. I think in a very meaningful way. I mean, I think there. I mean, it's there and like her like talking to him and saying like, oh well, I don't know, like I'm not quite ready. Like it has to be in a certain kind of way. And obviously there, right? There is like some sex, but not penetration. So there are like these interesting valences to her character but not enough i think to really say anything concrete about it um i I agree they're like gestures yeah a lot of the movie is coming back and i'm sort of re-feeling because i watched it actually it's saturday night and i'm sort Mm -hmm. of re-feeling my own frustrations with it like what it was another hash night (laughs) yeah i was messed up i was like well if they do it i'm gonna do it (laughs) peer pressure uh, Phil told me to. Um, hit that hookah, man. Hit that. <laughs> Fucking do it. Fucking do it, dude. Um, focus. So the the other thing that strikes me as a little bit tricky about the 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 way that that it kind of plays out. Let me try to see if I can figure out a way to put this. I don't understand. The so how do you guys feel about the ending of it? Do you feel like I think the implication is that Daphne, uh, Claude, and um, Clyde, Clyde, sorry, and Lucy, it's it's over. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, right? of course. Like it's, yeah, it's a done deal. All right. Yeah, and there's question. this blossoming relationship between. I hope so. Jack yeah. and why would they want to be together? Right. Yeah. It's I mean, not it's a great awful relationship. The only reason that they're together is because of habit of you know. I mean, right. there seems to be no love. Yeah. Did you guys... I, I didn't think of this at the time, but now I'm sort of thinking about the movie. There's... Not in the style of the movie at all, but, like, the way the movie sort of looks at infidelity and kind of, like, puts this relationship under a, a microscope, there's a little bit of a Cassavetes quality to it. Well, yeah. Which I hadn't thought about before. I think, but I, I think the... I see all three of the characters, other than P, P, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, are, like, the most interesting characters. Tell me more about that. Well, just like we were saying, like, so for example, like Connie's character has this interesting, like psychosexual thing going right. that is not explored that the relationship between um, Lucy and Clyde. And I think the dis- disintegration of their marriage is interesting or it's, at least it's more interesting than all the shit that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's going through. Right. I can see that. What do you what do you think of his performance? I think it's understated. I mean, I think it works. Right. I think he does a really good job. The hair also is like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, with this I didn't. Hair? It took me it a like, minute to PSH. Come I spent on, a lot get of the together. time being like, what's with the hair in this yeah. movie? <laughs> Do you guys buy him as like like a reggae loving reggae dude? loving no. dude? Okay, yeah, it's a little weird. Even he, he, but it's also like it's not. If I remember correctly, it's not really on the soundtrack either. Like no. He would, he would, how how can you sing? How can you sing King Alpha song in a strange land? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it comes it comes up at some point later at the very end right where they play They're his walkman the yeah. yeah to get him well, out he's in the bathroom yeah to get him out of the bathroom after he's destroyed the dinner there it seems there's I, you know i as far as i know the uh, the playwright here this is his only play and i understand why i don't i don't uh. know why they chose this play for the labyrinth theater i don't know why philip seymour hoffman chose this i yes. don't mind, i it fell under the radar to a great degree which is fine but it's an odd choice, and I don't remember reading the reviews of this or what have you, but other yeah. than some terrific actors that, you know, where you see them really have an opportunity to, you know, take... Dig into something. 
take over the you know the the screen you know it's like uh but i mean you know it's a it, to me it's a very confused plot a confused film at the end of the day and um i don't think the play at least maybe the play live was you know more successful right um one thing that i think is is worth but i do think that people who are fans of you know it's an, it's a, an important film. movie. Should see it. Should see it. It's definitely worth seeing for for those fans. I think it's also worth. I you know I was thinking a little bit about why I picked it, and I think part of the reason I picked it is because it um, it's the only film he directed. Absolutely, and, and it was I, the right. It was the right to choose. And I it. think that, but I also think that there's enough promise in the directing of it that it's a shame he didn't direct any more movies. And I think it's worth. There's a couple of things that stick out to me about it, besides it being a directorial film debut. Um, and I think it's an interesting thing to think about when you do a podcast about Phil Hoffman, which is I appreciate very deeply that the film that he chose to be his directorial debut is not a film that where he necessarily is doing his like giant yes. Phil Hoffman performances. Right. This is not like a Lancaster Dodd or a, um, or anything large and sort of like domineering right. of the frame. In some ways, he's although the film is about him, he's kind of in some well, ways the least the he's least practically yeah. a, a supporting character yeah, yeah. i agree yeah, yeah. it's like it's he it's does a, not try to become across as a the main character in this film right like avoiding that attention or something and so what's beautiful to me about it is that he's he was despite his huge success in the film in the in the film world he chose to use his clout to get a project made with his theater his cool like hard-working downtown theater mm-hmm. group and although he's at the center of the film from a certain perspective, it's also a film that allows for the other people who are part of this company to shine. Like it's it's yeah. sort of a it's in a weird way it, it speaks to his character that he was like, I'm gonna get this small couple million dollar movie made that allows me to highlight some like very special actors that I care about pretty deeply. You know, you may have put your finger on something. The film lacks you know, a main actor and there's like nobody (laughs) it's a complete ensemble film but nobody you know among the four of them there's nobody who's sort of the you know rudder of the film the sticking point like the point that we even though the title is jack goes boating yeah right jack goes boating but jack isn't really he's just always seems to avoid yeah you know the the being the focus of the film well it's so passive and it's also just feels well i don't I want to talk about that, but I think that the final point is it, it does just feel like an opportunity to get a film made with this company of people yes. that he works with. But you think he's passive. Well, let me also just briefly say it's really difficult, I think, at times to tell what motivates an artist to decide what it is that, like, to, to figure out why they're attracted to certain projects. Right. Do Adam's we, either peeing or pouring yeah, wine. Possibly both. Um, uh, it's my bong. <laughs> it does sound like he's <laughs> like June Ho. Just fucking <laughs> blowing on that bong. <laughs> June Ho. Do it. So Do we got a movie way, here. I, you know, I want to take this opportunity. I had, I just, uh, I think you may have seen the tweet. Ooh. I had on Song Kang Ho. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. How amazing. Have you seen the movie yet? Did you see Parasite yet? How would I have him on if I hadn't seen it? Well, oh, I don't. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, is is it okay? Yeah, I saw it. No, I'm pro- sorry. Yes, pro- I did see Parasite. Probably okay. And probably okay. What? No spoilers, oh, but no, no, no spoilers. It's spectacular, but it's like like it's a very very you know like 
typical, and I don't mean that in the negative way, but it, it's like 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 the Irishman is typical Scorsese, mm-hmm. um, which you know I saw. The the <sighs> parasite is typical Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, he's the best. He's so you good. know it's so so masterfully made. Now, you know you may leave feeling like oh that wasn't anything new, but. You know, it was it was such a trip. It's, it's like a, a Bong Joon Ho, Joan Ho fine wine. Um, not so to, yeah, but not it's to, passivity. Yeah, but not to distract too much. Adam, did you see Uncut Gems yet? <laughs> no, I'm it's incredible. Safety, safety. I saw bro. it last week. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's this year's Cold War. It's this year, my this is this year's Cold War. I'm going to be talking about as much as Cold War. You got it's incredible. All right, well, why don't we do a season on the Safty brothers? <gasps> we t- I said that to George. That's what Liam said too. I think it'd be amazing. We'll get them you on. You notice how I said we, so I'm like the new Uber Buster. <laughs> yep. That's we'd love to have you on. We really want to raise Adam's profile. Let's talk about the passivity of the main character. So okay, so Jack goes to, some, to some degree, he's not passive because he also wants to better himself by working for the MTA, I believe. So the thing also we didn't say is that he's a limo driver for his uncle. Yes, his uncle owns this limo company. Yes, and so he's working for his uncle, and then he also has aspirations to work for the MTA. Which also is, uh, you know, aspirational to some degree, right? Of course. Yep. Aspirational. (laughs) In more ways than one. Obviously, the visual element is lacking, but Adam turned his phone and we're we're looking at his cat's asshole. It's a really Why did cute you have cat, to, Couldn't this just been a thing between us? Sorry, Fucking you could edit hell. it out. So tell me more so about. Oh, improve- now it's Adam's asshole. <laughs> so he's trying. <laughs> he is trying to improve himself as a character or as a person. That's not yes. my cat, but it's it's all right. Okay, it's it's Wendell the cat. Wendell. He is trying to improve himself. I have a roommate, Wendell. So yeah, I mean, I guess there's a certain way in which he does try to, I guess, like take charge of his life and grow. Yeah, but That's he, not but passive. he, but he is so no, yeah, but I mean, in the sense like. He's very much like a wallflower. And again, the sad sack. And there's a lot of like them trying to like do things to right. get him out yeah. of his shell. Yeah, of course. What are we what are we made to make of the scene when he watches the man the the man with the amputee oh, get yeah, into the yeah, water yeah. and swim? Because the film really lingers on the scene where I he's getting kind of ready handed, wasn't to it? swim with to do a swimming lesson. He sees a man who's la- missing both legs mm-hmm. below the knee get in the pool with a with another trainer. What now tell me why it was heavy handed. Well, I mean, I, the way I read it was just kind of, again, this inspirational scene or this inspirational thing of like, oh, if this guy can like learn how to swim, so can I. Oh, I man, mean, that, I don't know. I don't read it that way That's at how all. I read it. Interesting. No, I don't. I think it's just, I, I, you know, it's just an example maybe of trying to impress, um, you know the viewers i i don't i don't know that there's a any Imp- kind of reason for it I, it was obviously viewer, not in the play impress the viewer in what way what do you mean you mean to to dis- like it's isn't this quirky isn't this offbeat mm. isn't this uh daring <coughs> it's obviously not they didn't have a pool maybe they did i don't i never saw a stage production so i, I can't don't say. i doubt they did of course but i i think that yeah to me it read as a textural moment where it's like I, I don't I didn't read it as meaningful in that way not to say that in a literal right, in a in a much more let's say literal interpretation of the story yeah it would have been in a way it would have been worked better because you know you do see people mm-hmm. having therapy and pools all the time you know it's not that unusual these are this was during the period where people are having swim lessons it's, it makes sense that it's possible somebody who's missing limbs might you know um, I don't, I don't, I don't get the most of the choices in the film. 
And and yet, I sort of on a certain level still rather enjoyed it. I, yeah. I'm not really. I'm not may, maybe because it is just so quirky and daring and the wrong film to make for anybody who's trying to start a directorial career. You know, it's just like don't That's make very this. Here's what you should not make. Yet he did. Know. It's like an fu to Hollywood and you know. But it's not. It's not. But it's like a Cassavetes in a way. It's it not is. so weird though that it's. Not something that it like is. I haven't seen before. I think it's pretty weird. I think it's just. Oh man! No, I mean, okay, we're not talking. Who's gonna connect to this film? Who connected to it? But I think you. you know I, mean? I, th- I think you guys are see- like. For me, those are just fault and not experimental like gestures towards something like. Oh, isn't this really really alienating? Like he's not trying to make like an alienating like. But experimental film. doesn't mean alienating entirely. Like especially well, within the well, confines of a film, because it's a lot of it is about imagistic decisions, cinematic okay, decisions. Yeah. That you make. And Cassavetes, one could argue, got very experimental at times. Yeah, at the, towards so. the end, especially, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just that it's it doesn't. I sort of agree with Adam in that I don't. I don't think it's the, it's it's a neither here nor there movie in that it doesn't necessarily satisfy a commercial need, but it's not daring in a way that like it's going to open. Uh, it's going to play in uh, the experimental section of a major film festival or something. Correct. like that. I think it's just very middle of the road in some ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it doesn't really commit to anything. There's no there's no like it's not like he made an ensemble film that like a la Magnolia that's going to get a ton of attention and is right. flashy. He also didn't make like he didn't exp- he didn't really push the the boundaries of what you could do. And he could movie. have he could have called in I think so because of who he is and right. uh, or who he was, I'm sorry to say, because of who he was at that time, he could have called in any number of famous actors, done something much bigger, much more bold. Yeah. Uh, rather than an adaptation of a labyrinth stage, it just which I'm brings not, me I back wish, to I wish I had I maybe is maybe there's literature out there maybe there's articles or interviews out there I didn't look for them but you know uh, but that would might that explain. may be why it feels like a love letter to labyrinth to some extent yeah as a film. sorry you were gonna you were saying that you feel like it it isn't all that risky or oh i think i already said that yeah i, I think again these like faults or these like um awkward moments are not experimental they're just the problem of the they're film. just the problem of the film but like what like, to me it, it feels like okay. here's a play that for whatever re- see i think adam where i i might be more sympathetic to that and I don't have enough time in in, uh, in in my life to kind of go and read the play. But what Adam pointed out and I didn't think about before was the degree to which, let's say, the dialogue might be where its experimental qualities lie. And maybe that kind of stuff does get, like, subsumed in, like, the really flashy soundtrack. Like, what the fuck? Like, there's nothing experimental or cutting edge, for example, about the soundtrack, even though I love it. And, like, the beats of the soundtrack, for example suggests that no i'm trying to make this like quirk yes this quirky Mm -hmm. but to some degree conventional film and yes it's not fucking mission impossible (laughs) three but well that's the most experimental of the mission impossible (laughs) but that it's i think it's two but that he's clearly gesturing towards i want to make a successful screen adaptation of this play which for whatever reason i I really like i really don't think i i see it that way um i think you guys are trying to find something like in the tea leaves of this like not very good film that make it well i think that the thing is is that when you talk about experimental it's like to me what's experimental about it is the breaks in the narrative that are imagistic and the things that kind of like the ruptures of those things they're not like alienating 
There's like two to three. The one where he's like swimming? Yeah. Okay. Where but then it kind of like there's weird segues and transitions that occur in the movie that are okay, just... Okay, such as another one. Well, that one. Um, there's one a little bit earlier on where it's like there's sort of montage kind of things that it just doesn't feel that it's sure what it is in, in either regard. Like it's not 100% committed into to main yes it's not that's okay that's really good it's not 100 committed to one thing okay. and i think adam's point the thing that i agree with with adam is that it's not a movie that's going to launch a directorial career because it it doesn't he's not pushing for like to get big actors to do big things and he's but, he, but by the same token okay. he's not making like a, a, pr a film that experiments or that takes risks with like the traditional way of telling a story okay does that that's to some degree that's mm -hmm. further than the way it's, I still so then in spirit there's something to me that's akin to a Cassavetes movie and that he got a group of actors together that he likes and made this film that's very kind of dialogue heavy but then he fucked around with it a little bit yes okay yeah that might be my kind of like punk rock kind of like approach to like making yeah a film. and he probably made it for for le very little money I think five mil is that I how read, much it I was? I think I read like five. It's a pretty small movie for a, a major movie star at that point in his career to get away with. And so I, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more it does feel like a little bit of a Cassavetes thing. It's not a Cassavetes movie in style at all, but the way he maybe made it. Right. So I'm just looking up exactly. Yeah. So the budget was five million, and it only and it made, made what six hundred six hundred. Yeah. It made. I mean, it was. I don't think it was going to ever make any money. No, Again, and that's not, not necessarily what's important. But I, Adam, I think you bring up a really good point that it's almost perplexing why this would be his first film from a traditional point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Um, well, I think we've certainly given it enough uh, attention. <laughs> <laughs> would you have any? <laughs> I'm curious to know what other, you know, not to say what what are what are some of the other films you are uh, of his that you are uh, that well, have gone real well in the uh, pod on the podcast. Oh, well, I mean, all of them. All of them. No, I think we had a good. I think I think <laughs> okay, that, that's. Uh, I think our doubt discussion we brought doubt us discussion really was good. Things. I mean, I think that the 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 the, the episode that that interestingly has gotten the most. This is crazy to me. The episode that has the most downloads is the Sinodoki New York episode huh. by hundreds and hundreds of downloads, which is not the one that I ex would expect it to have been. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm curious about that. It's a complex But text. I do think that to come back to it, uh, like one of the things that we've been trying to track in this show is the kind of actor that Philip Seymour Hoffman, like to George's point about the, where you see the other roles we're been sort of trying to like have an open conversation about like where this fits on the, on the Hoffman continuity. And like, we've like, there's like two sort of like big, big, big picture things that we've talked about. And there's sort of the big fill and the little fill, the little fill being or the big fill being like his sort of like mission impossible three Lancaster Dodd Titanic sort of these bigger, louder, more, charismatic kind of performances and then the smaller stuff i.e love lisa happiness to some extent um red dragon this character the, and definitely this yeah. character and i do really feel like this performance is a real anomaly because it's so subdued not that it's not specific but the energy and disposition of the character is so different mm -hmm. yeah um than from his other parts and i think that's something that's to really stress if you kind of want to see him play a guy that he would, a part that I don't think he would ever be cast in if he weren't the director of the movie. 
this is a movie to watch. It doesn't feel like any other Hoffman performance to me. Adam. I see that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then we have two left. We have The Master and A Most Wanted Man. Ooh, we're reaching the end. And then we might double back and do Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which we unfortunately had to skip because that movie is fucking impossible to find. Who would have thunk it? But it's it is. impossible to what? To find. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, it's like there's one DVD copy in the entire city of New York City. <laughs> and there's, it's, it's crazy. Not, it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah, it's not streaming on any platforms. NYU has a copy. And otherwise, we have a friend this that has a copy. This is what drives people to piracy. The library, maybe? or No, no, no Brooklyn Public Library has it. And neither does the NYPL. I think the NYPL might have it on VHS. I, I should Which is not. crazy because VHS was... I don't understand. I could be wrong. It's really hard to find. I think the rights are caught up somewhere. So It's easier uh, to find Jacko's motorboating. Just for um, point of comparison. <laughs> oh, well, I guess. <laughs> on that note, Adam, do you have anything that you want to uh, plug? You, anything you want to tell are us Are you about? on a podcast? Do you have a podcast? What's Barbara Koppel up to? <laughs> well, you know, she's she's just making films. All I mean, the time. I know she's amazing. Maybe you're kidding, but she's, she's just um, very prolific. And, yeah. Um, but very supportive and she's, you know, we have kind of a nice little bond. So she's now, when I was, we were at Woodstock, it was her third time she did the show mm-hmm. and, you know, it's just really, it's a special kind of episode. And what? so that's, sorry, that's the next episode. It's already available on the YouTube channel. You can. It's also, already on the oh, YouTube sorry. channel. So what's your next? Yeah, because I did all, I'm putting my coverage up there. Uh-huh. Because, that's great. Uh, it's, it's just faster. And then I'll eventually put it on the podcast. But, what is um, the, um, uh, so for, so for folks that may be catching this, like, do you have an, a recent episode that you recommend? That's one that you're ha- really happy with that we can include in the, include in the, uh, if you go back about 30 episodes that, uh, Liam and George are on it. Oh, oh yeah. I heard those about those great. guys. One of them's great. Intelligent um, and handsome. One of them is, um, so, so we were handsome. on, yeah, of course we were no, on. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, well, you know, episode with the, Mike Lee. the episodes I've been doing, I'm great. very proud of, but nobody probably listens to it, is um, I've been doing these episodes with um, Joseph McBride, the film historian. Yes. I, I remember and, those. I listened to one of those at least. Yeah. Well, the one we, well, the one that's the, I'd say, you know, sonically very good is because, you know, he recorded, like, much like we're doing here. Um, he recorded his side, so and it was for his more recent book on Capra. Now, I've been very caught up with uh, this subject of the the Hollywood blacklist and all this. So, you know, Capra name names, right? Ilya Kazan name names. I talked to Lee Grant. That episode has not gone up yet. Oh wow! But I'm about to put up an episode with 93 year old Lee Grant, the actor. That's incredible. And, um, oh, that's cool. It's going to go up soon. I think the film forum is doing some sort of retrospective, so I was waiting to hear about that. But okay. it, I don't know when it's happening, and I'm dying to put this up, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to pr- promote it. But it's one of the best things I've done. And um, Well, we're putting this out in a couple weeks. This is like two This is like two weeks out. So yeah. if, if the episode's out in the next couple weeks, send it, and we'll include it in the notes or, or something that you want to want us to include in the metadata? In the, of the notes. It won't be. No. Oh, damn it. Uh, well, then send us something. I doubt it's it. going to be that soon. I'm just because I'm kind of waiting to hear back for, about. Well, it's in the wings. That, if it doesn't anytime soon. Now, I also just spoke to Bill Forsyth, who, you know, directed. Oh, the, he just Girl. had a film at Museum of the Moving Image. Right. So he was in town. Now, that's a very fun episode because 
I already talked to Peter Riegert a few, maybe about a <gasps> year ago. Peter Riegert. If that, maybe not that long ago, about Local Hero. Right. And and on that episode with, with Peter Riegert, I um, pitched my idea for Local Hero 2. Wow. What did he say? And so I had the whole concept. He said, talk to Bill Forsyth. Did you talk but to I Bill Forsyth? He'll do it. So I talked to Bill Forsyth about uh, my Local Hero 2 um, story. What did he say? Talk to David Putnam. <laughs> well, so we're getting there. We're he's getting a, there. He's the producer. Right. And um, so I got to f- find David Putnam. But I think if I, maybe he might be the end of the chain. I think we, I've got the whole concept. Friend of the pod, David Putnam. Get in touch with it us. Funny. We'll get you uh, in touch Bill with Bill Forsyth, at one point, he uh, he says, maybe what you do is you have, you know, because I said the Peter Capaldi fa- character, you know, this going through this. He goes, maybe you have him do this, the, you know, this, the, right. that, and the other. And I said, let me, let me, let me, let me handle the story. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> hey said hey that. he's a good up. guy he's yeah. very shut good. up i look i know what i'm doing i got it well adam this has been a lot of fun to talk about this Im- completely weird movie yeah that uh i don't know if i'll ever watch it again i definitely will not but no, it's good to I know that not. it's probably going to be somewhere in my memory yeah and i i'm glad we watch. i think it's an <laughs> I'm essential glad I, I think it. i will say as adam pointed out earlier it is an essential philip seymour hoffman movie you have to see it in the sense that it's important to understanding sort of the guy and his thing and maybe even his oeuvre nice insight into Perhaps. yeah if you're into if you're interested in busting an oeuvre hmm. i'm interested poor in connection or uh busting podcasts well uh, I'm Liam well, Billingham. Every every important actor eventually directs something. <laughs> That's I mean, true. Maybe maybe I mean not every, but well, many. Ooh. So I don't know if Meryl Streep has ever directed. What will Tom Cruise direct? That's what I want to know. Didn't Tom Cruise direct a thing? Did he going to direct a movie? Mm. Oh yeah, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh. Right. Uh, I'm Which Liam. One? I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. And I'm Adam Shartoff. Ooh. And this was. You- Adam. Adam. Uh, Busters. Yes! 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 Yes!